0: Hello and welcome to the Relationship Breakthrough Show from Aligned with Love. I'm Matt. And I am Rebecca. This is the place for people to have a magical, loving, intimate relationship. Thanks for joining us. Now let's get started. Have you ever been stuck with a disagreement where despite your best efforts, you can't manage to find a resolution at all that is working for everybody? What could you try to do to break out of that cycle and to find a more empowering way to resolve your issues? Today, we're gonna be looking at mediation as a model of identifying your needs and seeing how each person can successfully meet their needs either in the relationship or outside of it. We're gonna be joined by Elizabeth, who has been a mediator for the past 10 years, guiding people through their most difficult conversations. And we're gonna be looking at the skills that she's developed and learned and practiced as a mediator and sharing them with you today. So we're gonna cover a lot of ground looking at things like collective action, how we make decisions together and to communicate in a way that really builds relationships in a positive way. So I'm excited to have you on the show today, Elizabeth. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be here.
0: Amazing. And my first question was, um, how would you define mediation?
1: Yeah, so very simply, mediation is a process for you, the participants, to find what your needs are and get them met. Um, we look for win-win solutions and in mediation the process is guided by a mediator who's playing the role of a third party neutral.
0: I see. So you've got a neutral party, a mediator who is sort of hosting the conversation between two yeah. people. Is that is that right?
1: Exactly. We're really holding space for two or more people to talk to each other and figure out what their needs are and how to get them met
0: see so if i walked into one of these conversations what would i see the mediator doing or how is the mediator hosting the conversation
1: that's a great question um you would see them listening you would see what that listening looks like for mediation it looks like two things um it looks like writing notes we're frantically trying to capture everything you say um it's two people or more talking so our notes have to be really structured and we have to make sure we get everything down you'll see us reflect back what we heard people say, and you'll see us asking questions to get them to talk more about what they mean by things to kind of encourage more understanding and communication.
0: I see. So you're going to be writing down the things that people are saying and sharing and reflecting back based on your notes. Is that right?
1: Yes. And what we're listening for is really unique. We're not listening for I call it the detective hat, like here are all the facts of what happened. We're specifically listening for how people are feeling, what's important to them, their values. We listen for what are the topics. So what are the concrete things that are making up all the things that are all their needs that are being unmet? And then we listen for their ideas of how they think they want to meet those needs. So because we're listening for those four things, all those four things are hints and clues to what people need. And because we're only listening to those four things, we're able to stay very neutral and open to whatever people's needs are. Because we're not steering the conversation in one direction or the other, we're really meeting people where they're at.
0: I see. So you're reflecting back the needs that you're hearing expressed, really, through the, the conversation. I guess. Yeah, we're reflecting how, how people. Affect... Yeah. Yeah. Go how ahead. Does that tend to affect people. I mean, how do people respond in these meetings when you're reflecting back to them? How does that tend to go for people?
1: Yeah, I think. One, they feel heard and they feel heard in a way that they maybe haven't experienced before. Um, They're being heard in a way where they're not being judged where how they are and who they are and what they're saying and doing is the right way to mediate. (laughs) That we accept everyone, however they show up, however they wanna express themselves. So there's this profound experience of being accepted as you are. Then the second part is, I think there's this profound new experience of hearing how you're actually feeling and hearing what's important to you and hearing the topic in words that maybe we don't hear that often. We don't usually speak in feeling value topics, idea words. And so when they're reflected back, um, it's a profound experience. I'll give an example um, that we use in training all the time as if if Matt, you and I are in mediation and I say, Matt, you're a liar, right? What I'm used to hearing back is you saying, no, I'm not, how dare you? I'm offended. How could you possibly mischaracterize me? All of those things, which are a totally natural reaction to being called a liar. There's nothing wrong with that. But what a mediator says is, so I think I'm hearing that honesty is important to you Mm -hmm. and having what you actually want reflected back to you. When I'm calling you a liar, what I really want is for you to be honest with me. And I don't necessarily have the language for that, right? I I movies, you, you hear you're a liar. That's a very familiar <laughs> set of words that we are all very familiar with. But mm. hey, Matt, could you please be honest with me? That might be less heard of. You know, we're we're used to saying what we don't want instead of what we do. And so having what you want reflected back to you when it wasn't the words you used, it's the what your words <clears throat> hint at that hey. When I'm calling you a liar, I really need honesty. Um, That can be a very profound experience. And I particularly like this example because maybe there is a word for this in the UK, I don't know, but in English, there is a, a verb for to lie. We have a verb for to lie. We do not have a verb for to tell the truth. So we have a lot of words to describe the things we don't want. We don't have a lot of words and language. We're not as familiar with talking about the things we do want. And so in mediation, to have someone reflect that back to you and to have that level of clarity that, oh, I'm calling you a liar because I need honesty, can be a really profound experience. And it moves you towards meeting your needs instead of towards continuing to focus on the thing that you don't want.
0: I see. That's a great example. Such a yeah, I, I love the clarity that you have there, and I can certainly see yeah. how that will be powerful for people where they've been stuck in this blame cycle of you know making it about the other person, and all of a sudden it's reflected back in that way. It sounds really, really positive. Um, I was just wondering though, because you're you're writing down like what you're understanding the needs are that have been expressed. Um, I just wondered, have you ever had situations when it's maybe a bit harder to discern what the needs are? Maybe the the person says, "Well, you're a liar," and yeah, you then believe that what they're saying is well honesty is important to you but actually what they really want is to to point the finger and make the other person wrong maybe humiliate them a bit yeah come across those sort of dynamics
1: all the time you know i think when i'm reflecting or taking down my notes i come at it very humbly with the acceptance that i never know what someone's feeling or what's really important to them i I don't have their lived experience, so I couldn't possibly understand. All I could do is guess. And oftentimes, you know, I'll make the obvious guess. Okay, you call them a liar, you want honesty. And that could be totally wrong. I think those moments where the mediator is wrong are also great moments for clarity for the participant because they feel, it's not honesty. It's actually, I want an apology. I want remorse. Or you know what, it's not, it's not that I need honesty. I need loyalty and trust, right? And so when you kind of give somebody that word, like, is it this value? Is it this feeling? Um, It's this very humble offering of like, here's a word because I'm a mediator. So I have all this vocabulary for feelings, values that maybe the average person wouldn't have. So here are some options. And when they, when participants shut it down, it's not that one that's really empowering for them to say, you don't know, I know because it's true. They do know better than I do. And they get to cross one thing off the list. Okay. It's not honesty. It's this instead. I think people in mediation, um, if they want that they're trying to humiliate someone, they're trying to put someone down. Um, we're not necessarily judging them or reflecting that like, Oh, it looks like you value humiliation and it's important to you to make someone feel bad. Right. We, we try to understand what are the needs underneath that. So, If I feel the need to humiliate someone and put them down and I'm doing that in my behavior for us, that's a need that's not being met. And and we're trying to figure out what is that need instead of what I think most of society would say, which is that's finger wagging bad behavior. You don't do that. You're a bad person because you're trying to humiliate somebody. We're not encouraging that behavior, (laughs) but we're saying, okay, what are you getting out of this? What, what, what is important to you about this person admitting they're wrong? And we just keep asking questions, we keep reflecting what we're hearing, and I think we get past that fairly quickly, and I think they've it's very unsatisfying to humiliate someone in front of mediators because we are trained to have no reaction. (laughs) So they'll be like I got you and they'll just see two mediators like taking notes and then they just it's not satisfying they stop you know, Mm so I think. It's a sign it's a, and it's a, it's a cry for help. It's a sign something needs to be met. And I think instead of shaming the person and saying you're bad or judging them, they have this profound experience of, we're not gonna stop you from doing whatever you feel you need to do. And we're going to, we're going to witness it. We're going to reflect it back to you. And that will get you closer to what you want because I don't think anybody truly gets a lot out of humiliating somebody, but they might get a lot out of an apology or someone admitting, hey, I hurt you and I'm sorry. And that may also never happen. And that's okay, too.
0: I see. I guess that sounds really, really positive. I'm sure, as you say, in reflecting back in a more neutral way, maybe taking the sting out of things, it can just cause people to be a bit calmer or maybe let go of some of those more difficult emotions. So sounds really, um, yeah. really positive. Um, I was going to ask as well, before we get more into the, the mediation and kind of how it works and so on, I'd love to ask you, like how did you get into this field what 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 brought you here and how did you get to be so passionate about this area
1: yeah that's a great question um so I grew up in a family with two parents who had no business being married to each other um there was a lot of fighting there was a lot of conflict and I think when I and I asked myself that deeper question why am I here It was originally, why was I called to this work was because I was meeting the need of myself as a child who felt powerless in that situation. And when I learned conflict resolution, I kind of had tools that I wish I had had as a kid. And there was some deeper personal satisfaction in that. There was a lot of trauma work to get there. And I had to accept that you know, that need of my inner child should not actually be met at the mediation table because I'm actually trying to support other people and just hold space for them. So I did my trauma work outside of mediation, which I I don't always see in helping professions. I kind of made the initial mistake and got drawn into it by my trauma and then had to heal it outside of mediation. And then when I came back, I was a much better third-party neutral, much better mediator because I wasn't processing my trauma at the mediation, I was really able to process that outside and come in and really Mm -hmm. focus so that that's that's the deeper answer of why I'm there. And then the short kind of surface answer would be I started a mock trial in high school and I loved it, thought I was going to be an attorney. So I moved out east, um, which is like on the east coast of the US. And I was like, I'm going to be where the founding fathers created law and it's going to be so romantic and great. I started pre-law and then uh, I had my first basic mediation training my college um, paid for it during spring break and I took it and my instructor had a hell of a hard time <laughs> beating the the adversarial things that I learned in mediation in, in mock trial out of me but once I transformed out of that training I switched out of pre law into peace studies and then mediated as a community mediator in Baltimore and have been mediating ever since
0: I see I see well Peace studies sounds like a great foundation for what you're doing, because it sounds like that really kind of underpins the whole thing. It's like trying to find, you know, trying to take the sting out of things and let people have a more productive conversation. And thanks for for sharing. that. I wanted to ask as well, you know, you mentioned like when you were growing up, like um, so many of us, you know, the relationships around us maybe weren't the best examples or the most perfect (laughs) examples of how relationships could, could work. Um, I'm just going to ask you a bit more about that. Not necessarily in terms of that relationship, but how do things look like? What's the difference when people are not having these sort of positive conversations or interactions, what kind of things tend to be
1: happening? So your needs go unmet and they go unmet for a long time. I think with my parents, I have kind of learned to accept that they were the example I got and they're an excellent example of some cost fallacy. They're an excellent example of how difficult it can be to have two different cultures and how they clash. So my dad is from Chicago, my mom is from Manila, the Philippines, <laughs> um, very different. And they were a great example of how some relationships are better ended, right? Like I see them after a divorce and they're much happier, they're much fuller people, and it's really a relief to see them without each other. And so, you know, maybe they weren't the perfect example of what a healthy relationship was, but they were a very good example for me of this is maybe what not to do. And when you're in a situation in a relationship where your needs are constantly being unmet, it's time to get out of that relationship or do something to to fix it. Like they, their divorce dragged on for years and then they saw a mediator and in three weeks it was solved. So, it was also a really great validation. I had kept telling them, go see a mediator. And they finally did. And I was like, okay, so you know that thing that worked? That's what I'm doing now. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, their divorce was, yeah, their divorce was a way to open the door into them being very accepting and understanding of what I was doing um, with my life and why I chose peace studies and why I'm a mediator. But I think, Mm -hmm. um, more crucially, if you don't have these conversations, if you don't get support, you know, go to a mediation your needs are going to be unmet for a long time. And that hurts you. You know, I saw both my parents have a lot of their needs that they were looking for in their marriage not be met, and they weren't met for 20 years. And that that's a really harsh reality. It's a very hard thing to survive and sustain. It's very traumatic. And so, like I said, when the marriage ended, seeing them unburdened, seeing them able to meet their needs outside the marriage and 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 not keep looking for the marriage to meet it and it falls short was actually really liberation for them and i'm very appreciative of divorce and very appreciative that mediation supports that process
0: it's such an interesting point you know many people when they reach out certainly to us for help and i guess for you as well that part of their goal is to try and fix the relationships you know how can we stay together that's that's how many people come to us and it's, it's an interesting one because you know many people do obviously turn things around but not everyone yeah. and uh, there's this idea in our culture certainly here in the UK and I'm guessing over there as well is that you know a successful relationship is based on sticking together you know we've been together yes. for 20 years no we've been together for 30 years we've been together for 35 actually, we're <laughs> happy for any of that time Oh, well, don't worry yeah. about that no no we but we've been together we stayed together we stuck yes. it out um and what you're saying is you're personal experience kind of demonstrated that that wasn't necessarily the case
1: yeah and i think that's you know i think society has those measures because we live in a capitalist society people who are unhappy in marriage they spend a lot more money to try to like fill the void of all their needs being unmet Uh, but a, a couple who is working on figuring out how to meet each other's needs that is a couple that can maybe stay together. And then a couple who says, you know what, we're just not able to meet each other's needs. We need to find the way to meet these needs elsewhere. What I appreciate about the mediation process is we say either route is okay and valid. They're both, we're both we're open to both of those things. I think, you know, if you're in a divorce attorney or divorce mediation, you're getting divorced, it's too late. But if you're going to a mediation versus going to like couples counseling or going to the courts, um, we're actually open to whatever path emerges and oftentimes people when they finally hear each other (laughs) they finally understand and they finally have a chance to say oh these were my needs all along they might want to change mid-course and say no i actually don't want to see you anymore actually you know what maybe i do want to stay together actually you know what now i know you can't meet them i want to end it and mediation allows that flexibility to go in any of those directions with no judgment versus i think other places people who aren't trained as third-party neutrals tend to kind of impose, well, we need to do this deeper psychological work. And why don't you try to stay together? Or, okay, since you're already here, it sounds like you're done and you want to separate. And if you have a court case and you're doing all this, it's very hard to turn that ship around versus at mediation, all the paths are open to you. And so you can come in and maybe you'll get an outcome you didn't expect, but that outcome will be aligned with what your needs are and what you value and how you're feeling. And it won't be an outside person imposing what I think your relationship needs. It will be really from you what happens.
0: I guess uh, it makes sense. And uh, thanks for uh, clarifying that. And I wanted to ask as well, regarding like meeting needs or meeting partners needs. Do you ever come across a situation where there's a line between sort of how much am I willing to change myself in order to support my partner to meet his or her needs versus no, this is me. I just need to be true to myself and acknowledge that I'm just not going to be able to meet those needs. How do you have you ever come across that? And if so, you know how do you work around that?
1: Yeah, um, I've come across that for sure. And I work with them the same way I work with people when they can meet the needs, which is just reflect it back to them so they can hear it. And really, so they both can hear it. And then we capture all their ideas. So what are your ideas to get these needs met? And, and part of how we know for sure if it's something someone is capable of doing or not is every part of our process is consensual. So we have an accepting consensual and collaborative process and the consent piece is you have to opt in to every part of the process and you have to opt in to every idea. And if you decide that you want to make a plan, you have to opt in into every part of that plan. And so that, that is unique as well. I think people are often rushed into agreement or like, let's just do this plan and mediators. We really slow the process down enough to check in, and say, is this something you really want to do? And so that, that does two things. It makes sure that people consent, that they really feel like it's possible for them to do that. If it's not possible, it doesn't end up in their plan. And the second thing it does is, if you do end up deciding you want to plan, you can be very confident. The mediators are very confident that you will follow through on that plan because it's something you both wanted. It's something you both consented to. We checked in multiple times. And so mediation doesn't require state violence to enforce our plans, right? So if a judge says, you're gonna do this, you do it because you could go to jail, right? You do it because there's police who will come after you if you don't do it. In mediation, we don't say, this is what you're gonna do. We ask you, what do you wanna do? And because it's really what you wanna do, because it's something you both consent to, because it's something you've both confirmed is possible for you to do, we don't have to reinforce it. We know and trust you to fall through on it. And we know and trust you to be able to adjust it because the other nice thing about mediating is by the time you finish the process, you've been immersed in this language of collaboration. You leave with that language. You leave with those skills. You understand what the process is. And so we often don't see repeat clients.
0: I see, that's interesting to know. I was gonna come on to that point. So I'm, I'm really fascinated about that area. You know, many people, when they come to us you know for support they they're also struggling to have those difficult conversations or important conversations and it's like well why do we seem to be going around in circles why are we not having a constructive conversation here and you know what we do is sort of help people understand what the barriers or blockages are to them having those conversations so that they can have them and uh, I guess I wanted to ask you the reason I raised that is I want to ask you how do you make sure you get that skills transfer you know how do you make sure you don't just make people like dependent on you know every difficult conversation i need to go and see elizabeth or
1: well repetition (laughs) they they hear me reflect and ask questions and that's all i'm doing for multiple two-hour sessions at a time sort of like you know if you go to spain you're gonna pick up some spanish you know, like it's going to happen because you're going to hear it over and over and over again. You're in an environment totally immersed. You're in a collaborative environment. Every part of how we mediate the process, all the behavior, everything the mediator says is modeling good collaboration. And so people tend to pick it up. My, My favorite part is when I'm meeting with people for multiple sessions, and they start asking their own questions. They start asking each other questions. They don't need me to ask them anymore. And I just sort of sit there and continue to take my notes. I like it when people start saying their own reflections. So people, when they hear over and over again, whoa, honesty is really important to me. They, they, they kept saying, you're lying. I can't trust you. You never tell me what really happened, right? They, they're saying all these different things. But when I give them the word honesty, all of a sudden they're like, can you be honest with me? I, I'm honest with you. I always tell you the truth. I'm open with you. I'm transparent. Like I give them those words and they start using them. It's because they're finally getting what they're feeling and needing. They're finally given a word for it. They're finally given the language and they start using it and, and I, they don't really need me to keep repeating it to them by the end. So that that's how is is really that repetition and and being very, very disciplined. <laughs> about listening for justice, feelings, values, and topics and letting all the details and all the judgment and all the like jabbing at each other, kind of just letting that go and saying, you know, that will decompose on its own. I'm not gonna fight it. I'm not gonna say, don't do that, right? I'm gonna say, okay, all of that's good and well. And if there are feelings and values and topics in there, I will capture them. And then I'm just gonna only give you those things. And they probably get reflected, you know, depending on how much they talk, depending on how long they mediate, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 times. And when you hear it over and over and over and over again, it really sinks in. And and mediators, we're trying all different words, right? Maybe honesty isn't it, maybe it's transparency, maybe it's loyalty. We're trying all these words and we're experimenting. Is it this, is it this, is it this? And eventually participants get to that place where they can communicate it. They see their words and they're able to express those. And so that's how they learn. Is what we're giving them the language. We're just handing it to them, and then they're deciding if that language accurately captures what they're asking for.
0: I see. That makes sense, Elizabeth. So you're you're kind of leading the way by being neutral and reflecting back, and not getting caught in you know the game of blaming or whatever. And yeah. eventually, they sort of see it enough times that it sinks in on some level. At least, that's the, yeah. That's the goal. So, it makes and sense. they
1: get attention and rewarded when they say those things right when when they're when they're on the cusp of a need whether it's calling someone a name or whatever the reward is you get to be heard and seen and you finally get the words for what you've been feeling and what you've been trying to express instead of sort of what society does which is rewards the finger wagging the person who's like you're Bad. You're humiliating. You're abusive, right? That person gets victim status. We all back that person up, right? And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but it sort of rewards this behavior of judging and putting someone else down and creating a my team, your team, good guy, bad guy situation. And a mediation, mediators do not respond to that at all. So they're getting no reward. It's very much like uh, I think it's operant conditioning or classical conditioning. I always forget which one it is in psychology, but we're saying, We know your brain is going to respond to rewards so we're going to reward you when you're talking about your needs we're going to give you a feeling a value a topic we're going to capture your ideas good job if you came up with an idea for something to do to meet your needs and then all this other stuff we won't punish you we just won't reward you it just won't get attention and then because of the way the brain works they'll keep doing the stuff that gets them that reward and we keep the mediation long enough that they learn that new pattern. And then the other stuff, they just kind of forget about it. It decomposes things that are incompatible with our needs. They'll decompose. You don't have to fight them. You just let them go.
0: I see. I get it. Makes sense. I, I love that. And um, what would you say are the like most common situations or challenges that someone might be having or considering where mediation will be something to consider?
1: So it's in every movie. I ruin movies for my partner now, <laughs> where I'm like, if they had just communicated, there would be no story here. And he's like, okay, but it's a movie, Elizabeth. And I'm like, but if they had just talked directly to that person and told them about this, we would not have this whole ridiculous plot. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's also in real life, right? There's plenty of times where if we had just said what we needed, if we had just said, you know what, I need you to tell the truth, we wouldn't be taking the hit of constant lies over and over and over again. Right. And if if we were taking that hit, we could say, well, I've asked for it. And now you haven't given me what I've asked for. And maybe you can't give me what I ask for. And so maybe this isn't the place to be. Right. And I think, you know, those situations come up a lot because culturally there's this sort of, I think it's very much like from the Puritans, (laughs) this thing, like you can't have what you want. You can't have pleasure. You have to suffer in order for it to be worthwhile. And I think what we're trying to say is, okay, we can't, limit your suffering, what we can do is open up to the possibility that maybe you can get what you want. Maybe if you ask for it, if this is something you need, then what's wrong with having it, right? And and I think that's maybe countercultural. <laughs> um, there's a lot of like shame around pleasure and chasing your desires, but like their needs, all of those things signal needs. And a person whose needs aren't met is a person who's going to humiliate somebody or call someone a name or throw a tantrum, like we're just older babies, you know, and, and if we're not getting what we need, we're going to cry. And I think instead of seeing those cries as negative things and saying, well, you're a bad person because you have these needs, or how dare you throw a tantrum or how dare you throw a fit. It's more like, well, asking a question, what, what's going on? What do we need? Mm -hmm. What are we feeling? What's important to you? What are, what, you know, what is this about? What's the topic here? and then finding ways to meet everyone's needs. So that's the other sort of countercultural thing is there's a lot of win-lose, like this idea that if I get what I want, that means you're not getting what you want. And mediation's trying to shift that into a both-and mindset instead of either-or. You can have what you want and I can have what I want. We both can get what we want. We're looking for win-win solutions. We're trying to meet everybody's needs. Instead of saying, you're the bad guy, I'm the good guy, so I'm the only one who gets what I want. And it's at your expense. We see that set up in all our stories, in our culture, in our systems. And a mediation may be the first place that people experience this both and mentality. You can both have cleanliness in the home you share together and flexibility around when that cleanliness happens and how it happens. You can have both those things. You can have both a plan and spontaneity. And we're saying all of those things are possible. And oftentimes, mediation is the first place where people are invited into thinking about how we can get all our needs met. And that's why our process is designed the way it is. Mediator behavior is designed the way it is. What we say in our language is designed the way it is, is to get us to meet everybody's needs and find those win-win solutions.
0: I see. Makes sense. I I love that. Absolutely. And you say, as you say, a lot of our culture is set up in an adversarial competition isn't it and the courts would be a great example of that where you know the judge comes down on one side or the other and someone kind of goes away smiling the other goes away sort of not very happy to say the least and (laughs) I guess what you're saying is that that isn't the only way there is a an option of working together to get to something that works for both parties is that is that a fair point
1: yes and it, it ends and it's complete when everyone's needs are met if one person doesn't get what they need they'll come back and try to get it, right? That's why you can appeal your court case. You can keep going back um, because it's not over until everyone's needs are met. It's not complete. And and mediation is able to get us at that completion, get us to meet all our needs, and then it's actually resolved.
0: Fantastic, that's great to hear, Elizabeth, thank you. Um, I'd love to hear, are there any situations when you would say that mediation might not be the right approach for what people would need? What What, what would those situations be, if any?
1: Yes. So I think as humans, we'd have a tendency to say, if I have a hammer, that means every problem is a nail. <laughs> and I'm a mediator and I fully accept that not everything is appropriate for mediation. We screen for domestic violence. We screen for, you know, if there would be a benefit to protecting your rights by going to court. Um, we like to partner with the courts and say, you know what? why don't we have the courts figure out what you're legally entitled to? And then we can figure out everything else because the courts don't have precedent for those day to day things that matter to people. Um, when somebody feels like they can't speak for themselves or there's fear of retaliation, that's not appropriate for mediation. So sometimes two people or two or more people, um, it's not right for them because we're, we're playing into, we're kind of enabling a power dynamic that could be damaging. But if both participants agree and they say no, I want to mediate, I always lean on the side of believing them. You know, who am I to decide if it's appropriate for them or not? But I, I really draw the line where there's where they're unsafe. So that's why again we screen for that. Um, we screen for mental health. We screen for if there's like risk of suicide. We screen for domestic violence. Um, Those are the types of things that maybe would be inappropriate for mediation. And then we offer other services, right? Maybe it doesn't make sense for you to talk to that person directly in mediation. So we'll do sort of a shuttle conference where you're in separate rooms and we'll talk to both of you, right? But that's a different process for us. And then, you know, if we can't serve you, then we'll send you a referral to like an attorney or a mental health professional, because we're not necessarily equipped to do all of those things. And all of that to say what it comes down to is as much as screening i can do i really trust my participants if they're like you know yeah i understand that he's intimidating and i'm scared of him and there's something going on i want to talk to him i want i want time for him to hear me i need to talk to that person um we hold space for that as long as the other person he she agrees right if they both consent to it we'll go and then if at any point it feels unsafe we'll end the mediation i think that's part of the benefit of having it online now is mm-hmm. a lot of the safety concerns that we used to have when we mediated in person are not that like nothing happens in mediation you, you can't punch me in the face on zoom so mm-hmm. i'm not worried about having to like stop something from happening physically because on zoom it's just not physically possible so i just find that especially women younger women Tend to feel safer and appreciate having virtual space because yeah. there's that bodily safety is not an issue in a virtual space.
0: Makes makes a lot of sense, Elizabeth, and also um, backs up really why you, as you were saying earlier to, um, before the, this conversation, that you you can offer services to people really anywhere in the world. Is that yeah. is that right? And 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 also, are there any issues around that, like because of different legal systems or anything that people yeah. would need to be aware of?
1: That's a great question. So the courts and legal system have jurisdiction and that's something they've inherited from our colonial past, right? These borders create jurisdictions. You only have power over the people around you. And there's a reason for that, right? We didn't have the internet when that system was designed. So now that we have the internet, and now that we have things like mediation, where we're not using state violence to force our ideas onto people the way that the courts would need. they I need my army, I need my police force. They're right here in my community. Um, mediators have the freedom to mediate anywhere and across any jurisdiction. So the benefit of that is you really get a neutral person. I think there's this I, there's this counterintuitive idea that, you know, oh, I want a mediator in my community or someone who looks like me. And actually you want a mediator who is gonna be neutral and who isn't gonna be impacted by what neighborhood you're from, who doesn't know anybody you know because you're able to be the most candid in those situations, we keep it confidential. So I actually love that I have, you know, mediators all over the country. And so if I'm working with a group in Colorado, I'll bring in media. I'll bring in mediators from Maryland because they're not going to tell anyone. They don't know anybody. They don't have any bias. So like when I hear I'm from Colfax, I have connotations of that. That street has a connotation in my in my community or how I grew up. I had a connotation. But if someone in Maryland hears that, it means nothing to them. There is no judgment. And so sometimes it's actually better to mediate with people outside your community to ship your conflict across the pond because you feel safer and there's more of a buffer between this conversation and what happens in it and your life and the people in it. I'm not going to run into you in the grocery store <laughs> if mm-hmm. if I'm not in your community and I'm not going to have any sort of ulterior motives because I'm in community. I might know somebody you know. You can really trust that it's really third party neutral when you do this sort of cross jurisdictional have mediators outside of your community
0: yeah that makes sense Elizabeth that's great to hear and uh, I mean for the benefit of people listening who are maybe thinking this is something I want to explore or find out more about how can people get in touch with you
1: that's great. Um, so we'd love to connect with you. We have our website, humansmediate.com. That's humans with a Z. And you can get on my Calendly. We have a 15-minute, no strings attached Zoom call just to connect. We love to talk to people who are interested in supporting mediation, interested in receiving mediation, interested in becoming mediators. We're, open, we're happy to connect and have any conversation that you want to have in that 15 minutes. <laughs>
0: Fantastic. That's great to hear, Elizabeth. And we'll include the link to your website in the notes for the show so people can pick that up from there just in case you didn't get a chance to write that down. But um, yeah, I just want to say a big thank you for me. It. It's been a really interesting conversation. And I love the sort of interface or uh, similarities, really, between the work with you and also the different skills that we bring to the table. So any final thoughts or any final points you wanted to share with us?
1: I want everyone to know that they understand their relationship better than anybody else and so it's your relationship it's your life it's your experience trust that you know what you need and if if somebody tries to tell you otherwise i know better than you i think you should do this or that you are well within your rights to disagree with them and not take that advice if it doesn't make sense to you because you're the expert so i hope people feel empowered in their lived experience and i hope that they can trust themselves to make the best decisions for themselves because they're really the best people to do that
0: okay that's all for today thanks again for joining us and please remember to subscribe and to leave us a review who could you share this episode with that needs to hear this message share this episode and remember that the quality of your relationship determines the quality of your life
1: see you on the next episode